the Anesthesia Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to the Anesthesia Podcast. Today we're going to explore some exciting new research findings on post-operative cardiovascular complications, as well as discuss uh, the fascinating world of collaborative research networks. My name is Marianne Turner and I'm an editor at Anesthesia. I'm recording from Nam, Melbourne, from the lands of the Boon Wurrung people, and I acknowledge their elders past and present. I'm excited today to be joined by Sivesh, Yeva and Omar, who are all involved with the Star Surge and Eurosurge Surge collaboratives. They've recently completed an international prospective cohort study on the impact of post-operative cardiovascular complications on 30-day mortality after abdominal surgery. I'd like to invite the authors to tell us a little bit about themselves and the role that they played in this study. I'd like to start with you, Savesh. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Savesh. I'm currently a surgical trainee and I'm undertaking a PhD in Birmingham, funded by the NHR, on multimorbidity and surgery. Um, during Cascade, I was uh, co-chair uh, and co-led this collaborative across uh, 446 hospitals in 29 countries across Europe. Uh, and I'm really pleased to be here and, and join the discussion on, on the paper today. Thank you so much, Savesh. It's so lovely to have you. Um, Yeva, would you like to go next? Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Yeva Yakikita, a medical student, final year medical student from the University of Exeter. Um, I've been part of Star Surge for the last uh, two and a half years now, and I've, I've really enjoyed my time there. Um, and Sorry, the, the, the reason I joined Starsurg actually was uh, because I was in an operating theater with a surgeon and the, I mentioned that I'm interested in surgery. And the only question they asked me is, are you part of any national collaboratives? So I think it's a great opportunity to get involved in research as a student. And um, I've, yeah, I've been here uh, for all these years because it's been such a useful time for me. And what an amazing reflection on how, what good work the collaboratives have already done that a consultant surgeon is, you know, encouraging you to get involved. That's wonderful. Uh, Omar, would you like to introduce yourself? So, yeah, I'm Omar Cooley. I'm a neurosurgery trainee at Sheffield, and I was the immediate co-chair and co-led the study with uh, Sivesh. Um, um, and I've been in Star Search for the past, well, eight, nine years now. So <laughs> it's been a long time, but... I really enjoyed my time there and it's a pleasure to be presenting this work here today. Oh, no, thank you so much all. I, I know how busy it can be for both students tra and trainees and junior doctors. So we're really grateful for your time and we're really looking forward to learning more about your paper and about your collaborative. So let's start with that. So tell um, our viewers or our listeners a little bit more about Eurosurge and Star Surge and, and all the good work that you've been doing. So Star Search was created by a group of medical students, uh, trainees and consultants who wanted uh, medical students to lead impactful research. And they saw the potential in their peers uh, in terms of time and drive to complete research projects. And so they wanted to invite them, to unite them in a national collaborative to complete national projects. Um, and the StarSurg model is really based on collaboration and shared ownership of all the projects, which I think has been the drive behind the success of, of StarSurg, really. Um, and so we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary in November uh, 2023. And uh, over the last 10 years, we've uh, completed um, around eight projects and published uh, 44 papers, and um, the largest of them being Cascades, which kind of was our um, 
you know, the, the, the kind of the, the thing we aimed for, I guess, in terms of uh, we had oh, close to 5,000 collaborators and over 24,000 patients recruited to the study. And based on the StarSearch success, successful model, um, we helped create Eurosearch in Europe. Uh, so StarSearch is mainly focused uh, in the UK and we recruit UK medical students and Eurosearch is kind of a reflective model in Europe. And together we collaborate on multiple projects such as Cascade, but also our recent study, Apollo. Wow, that is just so amazing. Tell me, have many people gone on to then do, you know, does this trigger a career in research for a lot of people involved in these projects as, as junior, more junior doctors or students? I think, yeah, yeah. I think I think I just a quick reflection on how big collaborative research is from from a very personal view I came from Syria about like like 10 years ago and like very little English not not don't know anything about research and the first and I was like where do I start what 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 can I do and and really the first thing that I seen was star surge and I was like okay let me let me see what it's all about and really, it teaches you a lot about how methodology works in research, how, how to build yourself from collaborator to hospital lead to regional lead to a committee member um, and, and to design these studies. And like it really, it really pushed me and allowed me to network with a lot of like-minded individuals. So, so really, like collaborative research is for someone who doesn't know where to start. It's a very good starting point um, uh, for, for, for anyone, really. And how did you get involved, um, Savesh? Did you tell us, talk us through your pathway? Yeah, I'm sort of a walking memory lane as, as uh, Omar and Yeva were, were talking about this. So um, I started back in 2016 as a, as a medical student. I think I was third or fourth year. I actually was involved with Eurosearch at the point when they first started and then joined in as, as to start as part of the um, steering committee, being involved in sponsorship coordination and gathered quite a bit of money. Um, and through then I've been involved um, as, as a student lead and then moving on to chair. Um, and it's been probably um, 10 years uh, since, since I've started. So it's, it's definitely been a long trajectory. And I think as Oman Yeva said, it's a really good platform to be involved in, in, in future research. And I think Star Surge is really pushing boundaries now. Um, which Yeva will, will come on to later in this podcast. Um, but but it, it's really been a, a, quite the journey and I've certainly learned a lot from the process. And it sounds like um, it's relatively easy to get involved. Is it is sort of how do people find you and how do people, you know, get, get started with these collaboratives? Um, so traditionally, it, we, we often sort of open for um, steering committee roles each year. And we often have a selection criteria of if people have been involved in uh, research in general, have they been involved with Star Search and what was their aspirations and motivation to join um, Star Search? And then we shortlist um, uh, applicants and we have an interview with a panel of Star Search steering committee members to really understand who, who the applicant is and why they're keen to join. And we select a handful of them. And over the year, we sort of see how uh, people progress through and some people stay on. And understandably, some people uh, move on for, for a lot of reasons. Oh, in I terms can't... of very first uh, kind of getting the first step of getting involved in Star Search, we have uh, 
wonderful group of regional leads, which we recruit in a similar fashion to a committee. And uh, they represent StarCERG in every medical school across the UK. And so the medical students are able to sign up to participate in our projects through the regional leads. Great. Gosh, it sounds like, and I mean, obviously the UK wasn't enough, so you had to go you know, multinational. <laughs> so um, that's wonderful. And tell me about this. So this latest study that you've done, you've got so many hospitals involved and obviously so many collaborators. Can you tell me a bit more about this um, this latest study that you're doing that we're publishing? And yeah, how did, how did you make it happen? So I think in terms of how do we manage to put this large group of um, researchers together, um, as Eva said, StarSearch and NeuroSearch have been operating for the past 10 years. Um, and this time, we've built a lot of extent and, and acquired an, ex an extensive network of committed researchers. And most importantly, we learned a great deal of how to upscale um, studies to make them like large and multi multinational, and especially how to use technology in our advantage. So Cascade is our largest study yet. And I think the key factors of why the, it was very successful is that we invested a lot of time in the election and the guidance of national leads. So every country in Europe, we had a national lead that represents Star Search, who supervised hospital leads um, and ensured that the data was complete and accurate. And so that means that queries were answered around the clock. Um, we had WhatsApp groups e and emails to help uh, collaborators and hospital leads with any queries. And we also hosted multiple webinars every fortnightly and that allowed us to, to the collaborators to be in the loop and uh, made sure that we updated all our websites and social media platforms accordingly. And uh, where we where we put like sort of like technology, we've used shiny apps like um, they're like live uh, dashboards that anyone can, uh, the researchers can access. They can check um, what is missing from their data and what is left to do and the progress, which meant that every even the, the the data collectors, the hospital leads, national leads, everybody was in the loop, and everybody was well informed of of what is going on, and and really, the the most important thing is that and and this is me thanking all the collaborators and hospital leads, national leads, uh, it's it's all down to their perseverance and co commitment that led to the the success of the study. Uh, it's just amazing. Tell me, tell everyone again how many are. Uh hospitals and participants you had involved this is so we had 445 hospitals from 29 countries across europe and and over 5000 collaborators wow congratulations that is just such amazing amazing work now tell us a little bit more about what you found what 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 were your research findings from all of this amazing work yeah, so I think we, we set out to understand what um the impact of post-operative cardiovascular complications are in a in a modern era. And the rationale for that really is, you know, we've got an aging population increasingly multimorbid, and we don't really have much of the contemporary data. And, you know, as as surgeons and preparative care physicians, we're always trying to increase the quality of of, of the pathways for these patients. And we wanted to really look at post-operative cardiovascular complications. So trying to link the two together, the, the most important finding we think um, in this paper is the relationship between cardiovascular complications and post-operative death or mortality. And it was shown that um, post-operative cardiovascular complication was attributable to 20% uh, of deaths, which is quite a staggering amount, thinking about the 
different um, types of cardiovascular complications we captured, such as uh, atrial fibrillation and also myocardial injury, which has in recent years created a lot of debate. So we wanted a contemporary cohort across the UK and Europe to provide benchmarking data for us to, 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 to generate a research agenda moving forwards in this space. Were any of the findings particularly surprising to your group? I think one of the things was the, the high volume of um, mortality that was attributed to post-operative cardiovascular complications. And when we dug in deeper into the etiology of it, myocardial injury was very, very much important. I think the other thing to point out here is that the, the rates that we found was about 3%, 4%. And one might argue that you know the, the rates are fairly low. And I think one of the key things to, to think about as we, we discussed this paper is that routine troponin was not done in, in a lot of these patients. So there's potentially um, a risk that we've not really captured all of them. But even despite that, the rates are quite um, quite high in terms of how much is attributed to mortality, which will, um, you know, it really poses questions as to, you know, should we really be doing troponin on every single patient that comes through the operative pathway, or is that going to cause us more problems than we actually um, uh, can solve? So I, I think it, it does raise an area of discussion for, for the community um, as we chat through the, the paper and as the paper comes out. Yeah, how wonderful. And tell me the definition of cardiovascular complications. There's been a, seems a reasonable amount of confusion around this previously. Um, talk us through why you chose the definitions, what definitions you chose and why. Um, so one of the things was when we were setting up the study, the um, step compact definitions came up, which set up a, a consensus process. It was published in the British Journal of Anesthesia, looking at how can we better design future clinical trials so that we can have standardized endpoints that is meaningful to not only patients, but to clinicians and academics delivering high quality research. And they, they set out about um, seven to eight different measures, including atrial fibrillation, uh, myocardial injury, myocardial uh, uh, infarction. Um, and using those composite measures, we, we designed a study. Now, one of the main areas of confusion has really been about myocardial injury owing to the different types of definitions that have been used um, in terms of the different types of assays that have been used, which has created a large amount of data. But stepping back away from that, we really aim to really define what the rates using a more recent um, uh, definition that was set out using the step compact, which is different to the uh, uh, groups um, that have used. And, and really just to seek out what the relationship is with mortality. Yava, did you have anything to add? Um, I think actually Sebastian covered it perfectly. Um, yeah, so the, the, the step compact paper was a, you know, the consensus was reached for a meticulous process. And so we trusted the um, consensus definitions and they allowed us to kind of uh, evaluate um, the incidence of PCCs and their association with mortality based on a standardized measure, meaning that hopefully in the future, the the values, the incidence would not be as variable as previously um, seen in different reports. And tell me, um, sort of what, what do you think, given the causal relationships between the relationship between cardiovascular complications and post-operative death, how are we going to, what are we going to do about it? How can we stop these deaths or, or minimize, reduce these, the number of deaths in the future? So, yeah. So as, as uh, Suvesh said, 
is, is if we prevent, in a scenario where we prevent cardiovascular complications, we save one, one in five deaths. We prevent one in five deaths from occurring. And that's huge. So how do, how do we sort of like optimize these patients um, to prevent these complications? And really, it's not just optimizing the physical conditions for surgery, but also the psychological and social conditions. And it, and it, and it stems from, 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 it's not one point, but it's like it's multidisciplinary prehabilitation programs that focuses on diet, psych, uh, the mental health of patients, the, the um, exercise, but also, and, and this is like part of what Cascade has been 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 looking at. We 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 collected data on a lot of risk factors, so including smoking cessation. How long do you need to stop smoking? Um, and and uh, treating anemia. I think this has been touched in the previous podcast here, um, and yeah. uh, in anesthesia and how to treat anemia preoperatively, intraoperatively, and postoperatively, and how and how to um. Um, see what patients are at greatest risk, and especially those who have more than one long-term conditions, or uh, as in like multimorbidity. So these are the stuff which actually we are going to look uh, forward. So not to spoil a lot of uh, what what what's gonna uh, come out from this paper, but it, in terms of smoking cessation, uh, anemia treatment, looking at patients with multimorbidity. So yeah, it's uh, it's very exciting on 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 how to be uh, how to prevent these uh, deaths from occurring. Tell me, will your collaboratives be looking into these um sort of smaller areas or doing further analysis into these areas? Um, yeah, so these will be part of the secondary analysis of Cascade um that will that we're working on currently. Um, and it's it's part, but that's why the cascade data set is 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 huge. That we, the data we collected, um, so and that that sort of like how to prevent cardiovascular complications from occurring. We are looking into these specific uh, risk factors. Excellent. So the rest of us will be able to grow old knowing that the <laughs> the future of our <laughs> cardiovascular outcomes is in good hands. <laughs> um, tell me, um, did you find any limitations um, in your study? What what sort of what did you uh, identify as possible issues? Sorry, Yala. I think most of the limitations we um, anticipated ahead of our study actually. Um, mainly because we were collecting routine data, so there wasn't a change to, to clinical practice um, that we introduced. And so that meant that uh, if the complication was not recognized as part of you know, routine uh, management of a patient, uh, it would not have been recorded in our data set. And this is very important for complications um, such as Vash mentioned, myocardial injury, but also new onset AF and VTE. Uh, um, so we expect that the rates of um, the incidence of these uh, complications might have been underestimated in our data set. However, we expect that the more serious complications were um, estimated correctly. Um, and some, in a similar vein, um, collecting routine data meant that we were limited in terms of the risk factors that we were able to collect data on um, because we wanted the data to be available across across the across Europe and so there might have been some we, we know of some uh, risk factors that we might have not been able to collect that are known to be associated with postoperative complications 
and lastly, it was the time of COVID uh, that the data set was collected. And so it is still a bit unclear of uh, whether that had an impact on um, the, our outcomes as well. Do you think you would do anything differently if you were doing this study again? Would you change anything? Um, I think um, I think it, so these uh, these limitations are kind of unavoidable. Um, so I think we were quite happy with our approach um, and you know we we worked really hard to to kind of make it as as right as possible to 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 for our outcomes, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's I can't even imagine the difficulty, you know, working with so many different um, countries and languages and, you know, assays and whatnot like it. Yeah, no, it's um, it's amazing that you've managed to <laughs> pull all that together and during COVID. Goodness. <laughs> um, now, you talked um, briefly about sort of what future studies might flow from this study. And obviously, there's the ones that you you know, with to do with your secondary analysis, but bigger picture, what do you think other um, groups or researchers could be? You know, what will this study inform? Um, yeah, no, I think I think it's it's definitely posing a question more than it's posing a solution in terms of this paper. And I think the bigger picture is we often think about you know as, as a surgeon, we always think about how can we improve techniques and how can we improve outcomes within the operating theater and a lot of it's often marginal gains and often we forget the bigger picture that is for the patient is true how can we improve the experience how can we improve their pathways to reduce complications and this is where things like cardiovascular and pulmonary complications come in um, but broadly i think you know there is a lot of things going on in a public health setting to try and address larger risk factors that can improve quality of life for patients and we know that with an aging population, with people having more multimorbidity, there is definitely an urgent call to action for us as surgeons and preparative care physicians to address the larger elephants in the room. But we currently don't know how best to do that. We address things like prehabilitation, which focuses on exercise and strength conditioning. We think about rehab after that. But in the space of you know optimizing people's multimorbidity, how can we better integrate care? We don't really know. So the aim of cascade what it aims to paint is actually there is a problem with a more contemporary cohort of aging society and we really need to think about trials that can better address them so we know a trial to address how can we better integrate multimorbidity into routine care such that is everyone's responsibility and it's sustained throughout the perioperative period that would be one large question how do we integrate with you know um smoking cessation efforts in 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 um across public health for instance in the uk We've recently launched a smoke-free generation campaign. And how can surgeons and preparative care physicians play a role to engage in such um, activities? So trials around behavior change to try and target some of these would be very much what we would think would be the direction of travel. We're trying to rally a, a group of surgeons and preparative care physicians across the world and across the country is often quite challenging. But I think that's where the, the hope, hope and, and travel should, should really be um, coming up from this research. And the perioperative space is so multidisciplinary, isn't it? Like there is, it literally, as you alluded to, starts with the primary healthcare providers and can work, you know, all the way through. It's such a, such a big group, <laughs> but I guess that's why these collaborative efforts are just so important. Um, you've sort of spoken a little bit about start the secondary analysis of, of you know, still to be done on, with this work, but tell me a bit about the future of Star Surge and Neurosurge. Do you have any big projects on the horizon or where, where to from here now that you've got this one under your belt? 
Yeah, so we're very excited to announce our upcoming study, uh, which is the first trial um, that StarCirc will be co-leading. Um, and its name is Clarity. <laughs> um, and it will be looking at surgical education to reduce uh, negative appendicectomy and enhance patient outcomes is the, is the name of the study. Um, and so we are joining uh, in partnership the West Midlands Research Collaborative and the trial is set to assess the effectiveness on a, of an educational intervention on um, pay, on reducing non-operative admissions and also negative appendicectomy rates in patients, which is quite a big problem in the UK. And will this just be a UK-based project, or are you going going big as well? So uh, this uh, this project will be based in, in the UK, um, just because it is a trial. So we need a really close uh, monitoring of our centers. And um, yeah, it is a big undertaking for a student-led collaborative. Uh, so it is the first step, hopefully, into what we will be doing more, of, more often in the future. Yeah, the big world of RCTs. That is such amazing news. Um, congratulations. I think that's just wonderful and I hope that you know you can uh, get lots of people recruited and we'll be seeing your paper and then come out on the next project in the next few years as well as some of your secondary analyses as well that's just wonderful um, thank you all so much today for talking to us um, and sharing um, your you know your all your work um, did anyone want to say anything to finish off was there any uh, anything that you wanted to draw our readers attention to Nothing, just let's say thank you for taking the time to, to do this webinar. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for here. No, thank you all. Um, so we'll we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for your time. I understand how busy you all are. Congratulations. Like this is just such amazing, amazing work. Um I'm really looking forward um, for our, to our listeners uh, to read the paper. The paper will be published um, on the same day this podcast is released. So everyone can jump on over, jump online and um, have a read of your paper at that time. Um, so thank you very much. Um, I'd like to thank Mike Charlesworth as well, um, the social media editor of Anesthesia for helping us set up this podcast and um, helping with um, the organisation. And I just really want to encourage all of our readers and listeners to have a look at this paper. Um, and I wish all of you and your collaborations the very best going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. The Anesthesia Podcast. <laughs>